Well, today we are, we are in the third week of Advent, and uh, we're, we're leading, up to, leading up to Christmas, preparing ourselves uh, for Christmas. And in the first, very first uh, week, we, we read about this, met, about this promise uh, from God about a Messiah, uh, that a Messiah would come to right every wrong, and uh, he was going to intervene into our brokenness, and he's going to intervene into our darkness. And last week, we took a look at... Um, that uh, we are not simply victims of brokenness, but we're actually participants. Uh, we're part of the problem. In fact, that, that was kind of the big idea last week, is that, that our greatest problems are not outside of us like we like to think they are. They're, it's not our situation. It's not our relationship. It's not our job. It's not outside of us, but it's inside of us. Now, we came face to face with that horrifying reality because if our greatest problem exists inside of us, and not outside of us, that means, I mean, there, there's some hopelessness that will set in. In fact, we read of Isaiah, it's kind of like if, when you come to that place where you realize that you are the problem, it's like, you're, it's like you're someone groping along the wall in a dark room trying to find your way. Because if you're the problem, you can't just change your situation. Because if you change your situation, you're still a part of whatever situation that you enter into. You just can't change a relationship. If, relationship, if your relationships are your biggest problem, if you just change relationship, and uh, you can just change relationship. But if, if it's your, you are your biggest problem, there's nowhere you can run. There's nowhere you can go uh, to avoid yourself. And so we, we kind of look at the, this kind of dark reality that our greatest problems are not outside of us, but they're inside of us. And Isaiah gave it uh, a name. They called it iniquity, uh, transgression, and sin. And um, we, we kind of explain that a little bit about what those things are. And so what, when, when Jesus entered the world, when, he, when, the, when Jesus was born, uh, it was a promise to, to address all of that, to address the brokenness that we do see in systems and structures. There is evil out there, but behind all of those structures, behind all of those systems, you find us. And so we are the root uh, problem. And Jesus came to fix those structures, and he came to fix the problem inside of us and he, when, he, when he was born, that's when hope was born. And he went to the cross and he, you know, it took a big whack at Satan's sin and death. Mortally slit um, was Satan's sin and death. But we still kind of live in this world where we kind of experience uh, the goodness of Jesus. That is, we, well, we do experience the goodness of Jesus, but we don't have everything yet. Meaning like we have the hope of Jesus. We know that he saved us from our sin, but there's still violence there's still injustice, there's still pain, there's still suffering, and, and we still participate in that. But one day, and this is a great thing about Advent, is that we can, we both, uh, we're not awaiting for the Messiah to come the first time, we're waiting him to come the second time. Because he came the first time, we can trust him to come the second time, where he will wipe every tear, where he will make every wrong right. There'll be no more injustice, no more pain, no more suffering. And so, we, uh, we, we talked about how uh, those are, that we are actually the problem because what ends up happening is we, we kind of always get sucked into these big vision things like some scientific advance or this is going to solve our problem. And you know, if we just, you know, more money, more education, more this, more that. And, and we tend to jump on the bandwagon of something outside of us to, to, to save us. But, but over and over again, we, we fall into that trap only to be disappointed. I mean, I could just talk about some simple uh, things. Like there was a day where someone said, you know what would be a really great idea to insulate stuff with? Asbestos. 
let's do that. And then, so that, and then, well, that didn't work out. Or, hey, I got a, a great idea to keep paint together. Let's use lead. And then that didn't work out. And then every day we hear about some kind of uh, amazing food that everyone should eat only to learn the next day that it causes cancer. And, or it's a political party. Well, if we just get on this uh, political platform, then that will save us. And then that goes for four to eight years. And then that didn't work. And then we switch to the other party. And they say, well, let's try this party for a few more years. And that doesn't work. And so we flip back to the other party. And we just, we, we just kind of keep buying into this idea. If we just change the outside of us, if we just change the situation, then everything will be okay. And just on the, the issue of political parties, again, I am not making a political statement at all. If you think I'm making a political statement and what I'm about ready to say, you haven't heard me. But when you, when you talk about, you know, how do the different parties address helping the poor, mercy? Well, the Republicans would say, well, let's get rid, we don't need any kind of programs. We'll just, we'll leave it to the, to the goodness of men and women to give individually to stuff. But they have totally underestimated, um, they have totally underestimated how depraved we are, because we don't do that. I mean, right now, in in parts of the world, there are little babies dying of exotic diseases like diarrhea that you and I can go to Walgreens for and spend three bucks and take care. Or if we have one of those little cards, maybe it's a little cheaper, but three, something like that. It, takes, it would take $60 billion to, to solve, uh, to bring medical attention, water, um, and, and basic food to the poorest of the poor. $60 billion. This Christmas, economics, or economists predict that we will spend $600 billion on Christmas gifts. Now, I think we can all agree that Christmas is fun and important. Those gifts are fun and important. But it's icing on the cake. It's not even the cake. It's the icing on the cake. Like, nobody, I mean, this year, my kids aren't going to open up a bowl of soup. I mean, that's, that's not the kind of presents. I mean, they, that's not the kind of gifts that we give to each other. We don't give basic needs to each other. I mean, they may be able to handle a pair of socks if it lights up or makes a noise or something like that. that you can get away with that. But what, what doesn't work is just leave it up to individuals. They'll, they'll do what's right in their own hearts. But then, you have, uh, the, but then you have the other side, which, by the way, I just want to encourage, we have this benevolence offering. I just want to encourage us. Here, here's something, a good practice. Whether you can do this this year or you, you have to look to the next year because we're going to do this Christmas, this benevolence offering every year to help people in need, is I would challenge you uh, to whatever, whatever you give, um, whatever you're planning to spend on Christmas presents, give more to this fund. Give more to help other people. It's a way to kind of keep everything in check, just a simple idea. Uh, the, other, the other side, uh, the, uh, the Democratic platform toward helping the poor is, I mean, they're a little more realistic. They're like, no way are men and women going to willingly give money away. We need to put structures around it to make sure that that money gets treated equitably. But they too have, even though they're a little bit less naive, they too have underestimated the brokenness in us all. Because there, there's fraud. the people, where the, they, they get the money, there's fraud, there's embezzlement, the money never gets there, the food doesn't get there. People, you know, you, you, we give aid into place in parts of the world and the people in that part of the world, they'll steal it and re- resell it. And so there's just all this wickedness and brokenness and they underestimate that as well. And it happens in our city as well. I mean, that's why Elliot Davis from Fox 2 has a job. 
you paid for it. This is what you're putting your money into structurally, and it's not, it, there's a bunch of fraud, and, and I just want you to let you know about it. That's what he does. He's telling us every week or day or how often he does that, that there's brokenness in the system. There's brokenness in the system because there's brokenness in all of us. But the great hope of, is that Jesus has entered our world. He became, a, he became a victim of that injustice that we both receive and we inflict to enter into our pain, to, to, to change that brokenness. And that's what we hope in. The promise of God was to intervene. I want to read Genesis 3.15 again. This is a great promise. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to the snake. He's talking to the devil. And between your offspring and her offspring, he, the Messiah, shall crush your head and you, Satan, shall bruise his heel. Now, I'm not a big UFC guy, but I think a crushed head beats a bruised heel. And that's what we get in Jesus, that he defeated Satan on the cross the promise was fulfilled 2,000 years ago in a quiet night in Bethlehem and then 33 years later on the cross. Ultimately, he'll come back and he'll have his ultimate victory. The, the Bible says that we're kind of in this time period. It's kind of like childbirth. It's like we know something's coming, but we're still in the pains of, of waiting for it to happen. We have hope it will happen but we're still kind of not yet there. And it's in this, so we read that in Luke 2, uh, 1 through 7, and then, and then today we read from Luke 2, 8 through 20. I'm just going to read a few verses and uh, have a few things to chat about uh, concerning specifically the, ch- the shepherds. In verse 8 it says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. I'll explain why here in a sec. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Great news, good news of great joy, all people. Why? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Um just to kind of get your head around this scene, what's happening here. Uh, because then the angels kind of go off and they say, you know, they're praising God, glory in the highest and on, uh, and, and on earth, peace among those whom he is pleased. So they, they, they break open the sky and they go into this big chorus, multitude of angels. Back then in, in, in this time period, that when your firstborn son was born, you would hire a herald just to, to tell everyone because this was considered a sign of blessing. It meant that your lineage would continue and so they would really, this was a big deal and so if you had a little bit that you would have a little herald that would go out but if you, if you had lots of money, you would go large with that. You know, kind of like people today, you know, when, they're, when their baby's born, they, you know, we, we send out pictures, right? We, 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 we spend a bunch of money and, and we, we get, you know, like we get these in the mail and so we'll get in the mail like some big gloss, you know, some glossy card you know, with, with a, a little baby that's kind of, you know, like a day old and, you know, cute, kind of. And so you, but then you have all this, like, gold and, um, you know, neon, this kind of, like, this amazing announcement. And now the problem with that is that my kids see that. My kid's like, well, how come you didn't do that for us? I'm like, well, you know, I've posted on Facebook. You know, like, I mean, what, what more could you want? You know, it's like, next thing you're asking for shelter and a bed to sleep in. But anyway, the, uh, you know, kids these days. So, so, so depending on, you know, you, you either went large if you had a lot of money or you went 
small if you didn't have so much money. Well, here you have Joseph and, and Mary, who are these broke teenagers, can't afford a place to stay, can't find a place to stay, have the baby in a barn in a trough. Who's going to herald this firstborn son? Well, we know that this firstborn son is the son of God. And so a herald like no other, God sends a army of angels that rip open the sky and they shout praises of Jesus and said good news to all because the Messiah is born. Now, What's interesting about this is that he comes to these shepherds. So the only ones that hear this grand announcement, this grand herald, is shepherds. Uh, now this is interesting because the shepherds are the—I mean, they're like the lowest of the low. I mean, they're—they're—they're. They're, they're, nobody wanted to be a shepherd. Uh, It—it just—you know—it—it just was a, the, the low job, and uh, they were considered thieves because uh, they were thieves. And they just had a terrible, terrible uh, reputation. You see how that works? And, um, and, and so this is who God comes to first. And, and you've got to appreciate the scene because this is why it says they were filled with great fear. I mean, they're, they're out there, you know, like counting up what they stole. I mean, smoking meth or something. I don't know. And, um, and then the angels come and they appear. And they're like, you know what? You know, like, you know, kicking stuff out. You know, like, I, you know, what do we do? And so they're, they're filled with fear, like, what's getting ready to happen to us? They're, they're thinking they're, they're caught, they're busted. They're going to be destroyed. You know, good things come to good people. Good things come to those who, you know, try their best. They thought they were goners. Except that they hear, hey, this is good news, not just for some people, not just for the, 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 the up, upper crust of society, but I'm going to come upon you. I'm going to tell, the very first people I'm going to tell are the lowest of the low. Now, this is totally opposite of how you and I would build a team. If you and I were building, I mean, if you're a businessman or an entrepreneur or you run a nonprofit or any kind of team, you know, any kind of team, government, uh, business, church, I mean, here, I don't, like, I, you know, I am, I'm not looking for, for thieves uh, to, to oversee the finances. Oh, you embezzle. Oh, you'd be great at finances. That would be <laughs> that. I'm looking for uh, the, the people the the highest integrity. I want the as, as, as gifted as people as I could possibly find uh, to be a part of the team, to, to serve all of us. That's, that's how it works. That's how it works for you. you. You don't find the guy who, you know, some guy on the street, oh, you'd make a great vice president. Like, you come be a part of my team. But this is what God does. He's not like you and I. Because he, he wants to show that this isn't about you. This is about him. And this is almost his MO. If you look past through uh, history, you look in the Old Testament, this is what God uh, tends to do. In fact, he, he goes to the Israelites. He says that you were not chosen because you were the mightiest, because you were the, the most, but because you were the least. That's why I chose you. And oftentimes when Israel did have numbers, he says, we've got to do something about this. So in Gideon's case, 
He says, no, you're way too big. You might actually stand a chance. Let's get rid of a few hundred thousand. Let's get rid of thousands of you. So it whittles way down. He says, you know what? If everything lines up just right, you still might stand a chance. Get rid of your horsemen. Get rid of everyone. Comes down to 300 people to take on several hundred thousand. Because God wants us to know that this is about him. This is about what he does. This is not about us. That's why Paul was able to say, in these fragile jars of clay, we being the fragile jars of clay, him being the treasure, that his treasure is held in us, in these fragile jars of clay. This should tell us a couple different things. Here's what we need to get out of this. That, that number one, first of all, God's not looking for a type of person, but this, is, this really is good news for all people. For those doing well and those not doing not so well. For those who have hope and those who have no hope at all. This is for everyone. And it should, it should put in us, and this is for those who believe in Jesus, it should put in us a renewed sense of gratitude. Because we need to understand that we're, all, we're, we're the shepherds. We're the shepherds. If you, if you think somehow that, you know, that, that you're not in the position of the shepherd... Uh, and this is why you've maybe lost some of your gratitude and your worship is somehow you've elevated yourself and you've lowered a little bit of who God is. You see, we, we, we like to think that we're the good guy. We're not the bad guy. We know the bad guy. You know, he's our neighbor, he's our coworker, but I'm not. We're not the bad guys. I think it's helpful to kind of put ourselves in this position of saying, no, he, he came to me. He came to me. Paul says in his writings, uh, as he moved on in life, he says, you know what? I am the worst of sinners. Now, he wasn't, woe is me, you know, I'm, I'm such a loser. But he was, he was saying, look, I, I've realized the more I'm around who God is, the more I realize he had no business picking me. And the reason why the shepherds were such full of gratitude and, and thanksgiving is because they realized that God had no business picking them. I hope this morning that you realize that God had no business picking you, but he did anyway, because this is good news for all people. The second thing I think we should get out of this is that it tells us a little bit about the fact that we are to be heralds. So what happens in this story is that, you know, the angels disappear, the night goes dark again, and someone's like, hey, what, what, did that just happen? <laughs> did, did I think, what, what, we, what I just think I saw, did that really, ha- yeah, that really happen? I'm like, well, let's go check it out. So they go and they check it out. And they run and they find the manger. They find this Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes, just as the angels said, lying in a manger. And they fell to their knees and they worshiped. And then they went out and they told other people that, that the first heralds, the first human herald of the gospel were these shepherds, these lowly, lowly shepherds. I just want to say, close with a couple obstacles of why I think it gets in the way of of, of actively sharing our faith. Because this is what the third week is about. This is the third week about, this is, you know, this, the, the, the pink candle, the candle of the shepherd, the candle of sharing this good news. Something I want to draw our attention to. But why don't we do it? Well, I think one of the reasons we don't do it, we, we buy into this weird lie that we have to know a bunch of stuff before we can talk to people about our faith. Um, 
we don't herald because, you know, what if, what if somebody asks us a quite difficult question? What if they ask me about science? What if they ask me about, you know, the Bible and, and why this verse says this and why this verse says that? What if they ask me a hard question like that? Um, and, and so we just don't, we, 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 you know, can the Bible really be trusted? Can I really answer that question? And we, and we just kind of fall back because we don't think we have the answers. How many here would say, you know what, I, I, I'm a little insecure about what I know uh, in, in that kind of, just re- be honest. Raise your hand. Yeah, see, we're all there. I'm there. We all get there. Um, but I, I just want to say, I want to kind of say some things to kind of encourage us and take the pressure off. Um, I think there's a place for apologetics, meaning I think there's a place for us to, to talk about the, you know, the, the accuracy of the scriptures, and I think there's a place for us to talk about creation. I think there's a place for us to, to kind of say, what does this mean, and what does that mean? And I, I think there's a place for all of that. But I, I just want you to know that, there's no, that in seeing people come to Jesus, it's not your persuasion that saves people. It's Jesus that saves people. That these shepherds were not persuaded by intellect, their, 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 their confidence in the reality of God was not an intellectual one. Their confidence in the reality of God was this inner work of the Holy Spirit. And just to, be, just to say that when I, when I look at those people who are the most successful when it comes to sharing their faith, it isn't because of intellect. It has to do with raw enthusiasm over what God has done in their life and has very little to do with persuasion and intellect and knowledge. I'm not, there's, there's a place for that. I'm certainly not saying don't pursue knowing what your faith is all about. I mean, that's another sermon. But I just want to say when it comes to evangelism, don't let that be a hurdle because it's not your intellect that's going to save people. And that's what it, with the shepherds, they were just super, super excited about what God had done. I mean, they're there, they were once thieves, and all of a sudden, these angels come to them. Me, a shepherd, saving me. This is good news to me, the one that we've been waiting for, the one that we kind of gave up on, to be honest with you, actually exists, and he's there. And the, the, again, the, the people who are the most successful are the ones who, who, who work off the basis of that and say, you know what, come and see. So people come to, come to you and they may say things like, well, well, tell me what happened to you. You're so excited about what, what tell me more about it. I don't know what he, I, don't, I can't even explain what he's done. Just, just come and see. Come and see. You got you to come and see this. And this is interesting because this is exactly um, what Philip found uh, when, when Jesus began to call his 12 disciples, one of the first guys he calls was this guy named Philip. So Jesus says, hey, Philip, come follow me. And Philip's like, yes, I'm in. Hey, just one question, Jesus. Can I invite my friend? He's like, yeah, sure, you go invite your friend. So he goes and finds his friend, Nathaniel. And so in, verse, in John 1, 45, uh, Philip comes to Nathaniel and he says, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of He's like, you've got to come see this guy. It's going to be great. This is the person that we've come from. And so he, he tells his friend this, and then Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's kind of like that moment where you're like, hey, I want to tell you about my church. I want to tell you about what Jesus did to me. And you're like, you really believe in an absolute truth? Don't you know that you can't trust the Bible? Hasn't science disproved all of that? You're kind of like, whoa. 
What did, what did Nathaniel, or excuse me, what did Philip said? Philip said, come and see. Just come and see. Nathaniel says, can any good thing good come out of Nazareth? And Philip's like, you know what? I don't know. Maybe nothing good can come out, but all I know is what Jesus has done for me. Come and see. Come and see what he's done. And when it comes to answering people's questions, you know what? Sometimes, Actually, I think it would be pretty refreshing if more Christians would say things like this. I don't know. Let me go find out, but I don't know. Just, just come. Just come and see what this is all about. And, and next week, we, we have an opportunity. We have a really good opportunity to invite our friends to say, come and see. Invite them to this Christmas service. Um, I think any week's a good week to invite someone to hear about Jesus, but next week I think it'll be a bit better. Um, I mean, for, I'll, I will preach a shorter message. Can't guarantee it'll be good, but at least it'll be short. So I can guarantee that. And I will, I'll major on what Jesus has done. So let's hear about what Jesus has done. Um, that we've got great musicians, and they, they'll, work, just, they'll put together some great uh, Christmas music for us. Everyone likes Christmas music. And the cute factor will be off the charts. So we'll get some kids up here, and they'll sing stuff. I mean, it'll be like borderline manipulation. It'll be, it'll be, it'll be awesome. And so this is a night where you could just say, hey, come and see. There's invites there for you. Just, just come and see. Just come check this out. And here's what I want to say. The pre- your job, here's what your job is. Your job is not Savior. I just want to take, it's not your responsibility, the people that you know, confess Jesus and become Christians. It's not your responsibility. Your job title is not Savior. Your job title is Herald. Your job title is to tell. Is your job to convince? No. Is your job to save? God says, I will take that on. I will take on the responsibility. I will, I, my Holy Spirit will go in front of you and, and he will convict the world of their son. He will do the persuading. He will do the convincing. But some of us think, well, you know, my friend, you know, every time I say something, it doesn't work. Well, your job isn't for it to work. Your job is for you to tell. Now, so one reason is we just think we have to know all kinds of information. The second thing that kind of keeps us, which I don't really get, is that we, we want to be cool, which I don't even know what that means anymore, to be honest with you. I mean, I know back in seventh grade it meant I got invited to skating parties that other people didn't get invited to. I knew it, I knew it back then it meant that, but I don't know quite what category to put it in now. Now, I know it's human nature. We all want to be liked. We all want to be accepted. But, but let me just put before you, don't let your desire to be wanted and accepted to be the rudder of your life. To be the thing that drives what you do. Especially when it means the most important thing about your life stays hidden. Like, well, Brian, I just don't want it to be weird. Well, don't make it weird. Just don't make it weird. That's how you not make it weird, is you don't make it weird. And, and I'm going to tell you, the two least weird things that you can do um, to share your faith happen to be Two of the most effective ways to share your faith. One is, is you ask your friend, neighbor, coworker, whatever, how can I pray for you? You know, I was praying this morning and you came to mind. 
How can I pray for you? That's all you have to do. Now, I, I said that, I remember saying that to my neighbor a, a few months ago. And my neighbor says, you know, you know I don't believe in Jesus. Now, we have this relationship. I was just say, I, I didn't ask you if you believed in Jesus. I asked you if you, if you needed prayer for something. And so he says this. He says, well, now, I don't think prayer works, but I know that you do. So for, for your sake, I'll, I'll go ahead and go along with this. Um, you know, the doctor says there's something wrong with me, and I'm on a lot of med- medication. I need several surgeries. You, you can pray for that. Now, I know prayer doesn't work, but if you want to go pray for me, that's fine. I could use help with that. Now, what that does is not only am I praying for him, but it, it opens up other conversations like, hey, how are you doing? How's your health? How's this part of your life? How's this part of your life? Now, here's the thing, because our neighbor, he's a guy who would, he's a guy who would say that I am not the, I know Christians, I know, I know people who follow Jesus, and I am not one of those guys. I don't fit into that mold. Now, this is what he would say. Now, follow me on this. He, he would say about my wife and I that I would have never put you in that box either. You, you don't fit in the box of when I think of a, of a Christian. But as we're demonstrating love to him, his boxes of who this good news is for in the first place is being broken down. Now, here's another thing you can do besides pray for someone, is you can invite them to dinner. And guess what you should do when they come over? You should have dinner. <laughs> what you don't have to do, you don't have to, like, get out the anointing oil and, like, and like when they come through the wall, you know, they come through the door, you're like, let me get you really quick before, you know, like get, you don't have to zap them with oil when they walk through the door. You, you have dinner and, and you ask questions. This is, you just really don't have to be weird. And again, your job, your job, no, your job is, no, not that one, not that one, not that one, not that one. Um. Your job is to simply herald. You herald with your mouth. You herald with your life. You herald. You do not save. You do not convince. I mean, it's fine to, to, to help them with those hurdles. But just so you know, if you, the best an intellectual argument can do is remove a hurdle. It will not save them. But hey, you can pray for them. You could come say, hey, why don't you come and see? I know you've got questions and I don't have all the answers, but I, I just, you just need to come and see. And that was the invitation of Jesus. In Psalm 34, 8, we get, you know, taste and see that the Lord is good. What, what, what about, you know, how old is the Bible? How old is the earth? Hey, taste and see. That's all you have to do. What do we do? We say, come and see. Invite them next week. Pray for them. Offer to pray for them. Engage them in conversation. Invite them over for dinner. So that Jesus has an opportunity, because this is how he's planned this whole thing. He went through the shepherds. He went through Philip, through Nathaniel, through the disciples. Went out to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. It's, It's made it to us. We're the ends of the earth. And we are to continue what the shepherds started as, herald, as the first ones who would herald this good news, we continue to herald 
that good news. And we talk about a Savior who has come. He's the Messiah. He came once and he's coming again to enter into our brokenness, to enter into your dying body, to enter into all the injustice that we see, all the pain that we see, all the suffering that we see. And he's going to end it all. He's the only hope. Here's what you know for sure if you want to get into intellectual arguments. Nothing else has worked. Nothing else in your life has worked. But Jesus is the hope. And we, we are so privileged to be heralds of this great news.